Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Would you take your Bibles, open them to John's Gospel, chapter 15. John chapter 15. We're actually in 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're looking at the first verse together, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. We're looking at Peter individually before we get into any of the information about the letter itself, because we want to learn about Peter. One of the criticisms of Peter being the author of this letter is that he was untrained and uneducated. And that's often a an accusation that's brought out to people, you, what's your seminary degree? Where'd you go to school? Who gives you? It's really a question of authority. And listen, whether you've been to school or not, whether you have a degree or not, whether you've been to Bible college or not, whether you have your bachelor's, your associate, your master's, your PhD, whether you have five PhDs, when it comes to the things of God, your authority is the Spirit of God dwelling in you. That's your authority. We all have the same authority. Jesus, through His Spirit, is the teacher. And it's great to be educated. We went through this last time. It's great to gain as much as you can, as fast as you can, as cheap as you can. Do it, do it, do it. However, if you're unable, know that you can be equally equipped because you have the Holy Spirit in you. And God is with you. He'll lead you into all truth. So there they were, untrained, unlearned men. It was pretty obvious. And it wasn't wasn't just an observation. It was a dig. Look at you, untrained and unlearned. And yet the conclusion, though, was that Peter had spent time with Jesus. And we might skip over that really quickly and think, well, wait a minute, spending time with Jesus, what does that really mean? Let me just say this, spending time with Jesus will change your life. Spending time with Jesus will change your life. There's a lot of ways you can do that. Bible study, worship music, devotional life reading your Bible, talking about the Bible, reading books about the Bible from trusted sources. There's a lot of ways to do that. But the one way that Jesus teaches us that encapsulates all of the activity is actually found for us in John 15. Notice with me if you're there in John 15. I want to talk a little bit before we finish up looking at Peter in our time today about what it means to spend time with Jesus. Notice in verse 4. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing." Jesus in John 15 earlier talks about vines and vine dressers and branches. And he's bringing his disciples back to what's important. As they're headed to the cross, there's the reminder to remain simple, to keep things simple. I have found over the years, the longer that you walk with the Lord, the longer you have a relationship with the Lord, the more complicated things can become. Because you learn a little bit from this class, and you learn a little bit from this Bible study. And then, of course, in our day and age, you can learn so much. You you can literally be an expert about everything and know very little about anything. 
Because you get a little piece here and a little piece there and you got this information and now, now you're the expert. And that, that in pride can carry over into our relationship with God. And before you know it, it's very complicated when it was never intended to be as complicated as we have made it. Let me read this to you in the New Living Translation. You can just jot it down. In Jeremiah chapter 31, it says, Listen to this message from the Lord. This is Jeremiah 31.10. Listen to the message of the Lord, you nations of the world. Proclaim it in the distant coastlands. The Lord, who scattered his people, will gather them together and watch over them as a shepherd does his flock. For the Lord has redeemed Israel from those too strong for them. They will come home and sing songs of joy on the heights of Jerusalem. Listen, they will be radiant because of the many gifts the Lord has given them. The good crops of wine and wheat and oil and healthy flocks and herds. Their life, and this is, this is the scripture, that's why I like the New Living. Listen, it says, their life will be like a watered garden and all their sorrows will be gone. A well-watered garden is a description in Jeremiah. It's also a description of Jesus in John 15. A well-watered garden. Now, of course, with the recent freeze that came in, everybody's freaking out to cover up their garden right now and try to save what they spent all season trying to grow and, and keep them just from a quick flash freeze, from losing all the progress and all. But think about those of you that were out covering and taping and moving, putting things in the garage. Think about this for a second, how much you care for the plants that you're taking care of. I even noticed when I drove in, someone took the care to take care of those pots and put bungee cords around them so that we can protect them. Why? Because we care. We wanted the garden and the flowers to be well-gardened and well-watered and well-taken care of. Now, if you care about your garden as a human like that, how much more do you think God loves you more than the flowers of the field? How much he wants you well-taken care of? You have care and concern. We have care and concern to take care of the beautiful flowers and the trees. But how much more our Heavenly Father wants to take care of you, wants to cover you up, wants to protect you from the flash freezes of life and difficulties. Listen, when you're well cared for, fruit occurs naturally. There's no need for a tree to work it up or produce it. It's well-watered, well-cared for, and a well-watered garden, a well-watered tree naturally produces what it was intended and created for. Like the believer, the place of fruit, the place of life, the place of joy comes from staying put. That's what the word means in verse 4 if you want to circle it, abide. When, when it speaks of Jesus spending time, or Peter spending time with Jesus, it's not merely his proximity, although that is an important piece. That's one of the reasons I believe God intended us to gather together. It's not merely proximity, though. It's posture. You know, you can be in a place where there are others worshiping God and not worship God yourself because it's the posture of your heart. It's not merely the position and the placement of your body. It's also the posture of your heart where you come expectant and ready where the place where, as Moses said, when there was great turmoil and great fear and they were boxed in, what did he say? Stand still. This is not a time to move. It's not a time to freak out. It's not a time to run away. Stand still. 
And he also said, remember, be quiet. And he said, see the salvation of your God's going to fight for you. He's going to take care of you. Why? Because you're abiding in him. He's abiding in you. Jesus has invaded our lives. When we were born again, we have new purpose in life, a new position in life, a new posture of life. He accepts us as we are, but he doesn't let us stay that way. Look, when Peter's spending time with Jesus, he was learning the abiding principle. He's learning how to stay put. He's learning how not to run away. The word literally means to remain, to stand still, to stay put. Let me read it to you, John chapter 15, verse 5 from the New Living Translation. He says, yes, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. John 15, verse 4 in the Message Translation. It's a paraphrase, but listen how he paraphrases it. Live in me. Make your home in me just as I do in you. In the same way that a branch can, can't bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine. You can't bear fruit unless you're joined to me. Live in me. You're joined to me. Stay put. Remain. Abiding begins with a confession of faith in your life. That's your first step of abiding. And it continues through steady obedience. You, you, it's not just a steady obedience in what God is in telling you to do, what he instructs you. Like, remember what Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It's not just that. It's also the steady obedience of resisting the temptation to no longer abide. Where there's always a temptation, some shortcut along the way, some cause perhaps, some temptation to be all mad and puffed up with pride and you're just upset. It's a steady of obedience of saying, no, nothing's going to move me. Paul faced that. I, I mean, he, he started listing off all the things that he experienced in life and what does he say? None of these things move me. I can't speak for you, but I can speak for myself. That's a very difficult statement to make. As a matter of fact, as I look back on the entirety of my life, I can't make that statement. There have been many things that have moved me over the years. There have been many things that have shaken my life. There are many things that I have tempted me. There are many things that have overwhelmed me. There are many things that have upset me. Like, like not move you, Paul. How is that possible? However, I can say this. There have been little capsules in my life of trials and difficulties, little segments of my life where I can look at that segment and go, you know what? I saw this, 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 and this. And I can say confidently, none of these things move me. None of these things have shaken me. And so I have some things that have shaken me. But then when I look at little segments of my life, I go, no, no, I, I remember that. Like I remember, no, and these things don't move me. Why? Because it's the abiding presence of God in my life. The things that God is doing. And, and the temptations to move. And remember in John chapter 6, everybody's leaving Jesus after hard words. Then he looks and he goes, you guys are going to leave me too? You see everybody walking away. You see everybody abandoning me. You see everybody turning on me. You see everybody just making this choice because of a few difficult words to receive. Are you going to leave me too? And Peter says, man, where are we going to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. 
even if I wanted to leave you, I'd be back. (laughs) Even if I made the bad decision to walk away, I'm coming back because you alone have the words of eternal life. When it says that Peter spent time with Jesus, that it was obvious. How is it obvious? How is it possible that today someone could say in your life, uh, they have spent time with Jesus? And I'll tell you how. By the fruit from your life. You're a different person. You're not manufacturing it. You're not going, okay, I'm going to be with some friends. I need to make sure they know I'm a believer. No, you just, many times the counsel I give to someone, you go, hey, Ed, I'm going to be going to this wedding. I'm going, what should I do? Uh, Just be yourself in the Lord. That's it. Just be yourself. Don't worry about all that stuff. It is possible for you to be among sinners that are sinning like crazy and not be touched by sin. Did you know that? (laughs) It's possible. It's possible to be in an event. It's possible to be in the world. Jesus said, you're going to be in this world. I leave you in this world, but Father, keep them from the evil one. Do you know that prayer is answered in your life every day of the week? God protects you, answers the prayer of Jesus. For Peter to spend time, maybe that's the only testimony you have. The only testimony you have is I, I just, well, what's your credentials? I, credentials? I didn't even know you needed credentials. The Bible just said I should be born again. I confess my sins, and that's why I'm a born again. What credentials? I, all I do, I read the Bible. You've been with Jesus. What's your credentials? Well, I try to be in church for sure. I, want, I even sometimes take notes on what that guy's saying. You've been with Jesus. I talk to God. Oh, so you pray? Oh, is that what you call it? Yeah, I pray. I've been with Jesus. And you don't need to be intimidated by people that would want to come along and somehow make you feel less Because a guy that spent time with Jesus went from a fisherman to a fisher of men. Not only that, this guy failed miserably in his life. And yet, though a man falls seven times, he rose again. And he's not remembered. When he writes his letter, he doesn't say, remember my big failure? Remember? He doesn't. He just writes, look, come back to 1 Peter now, chapter 1. In 1 Peter chapter 1, this is what he writes. When it's time to write the letter, when it's time to sit down, when he is writing to encourage these scattered, weary saints, what does he say? I'm Peter, an apostle of Christ. I'm Peter. That's who I am. I'm the one that spent time with Jesus. That gives me the authority. He's the one that made me an apostle. After spending time with Jesus, he became stronger. He changed from the inside out. So much so that he becomes a great leader in the church. A great leader. Unfortunately, some have taken it over the years to make him a greater leader than even God ever intended, creating a whole new category of leadership that's nowhere to be found in the Bible. Some of you came from a religious tradition that claimed that Peter was the first pope. How many of you came from a tradition that Peter was the first pope, that you were raised that way? So quite a few of you. Well, the position of pope doesn't exist in the Bible. And Peter was not the first pope. Let me show you what I mean. Come over to Matthew chapter 16, because I want you to have a biblical answer to this. This isn't some non-denominational church pastor's opinion. This is what the Bible says. And we want to get our theology and our instruction about God and the ways of God from the Bible. 
So many times when somebody brings up that somehow claim that Peter was the first pope, they're going to take you to this passage, Matthew chapter 16 in verse 13. And this is one of my favorite places because we take you in on the Israel tour. We'll take you into the Caesarea Philippi. We got a little area there with the cave in the background, which you'll go up and tour after we do our Bible study. And this is the section that we'll take you there. And we'll read in verse 13, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, and I almost always pause right there. And just to give some effect, I just ask everybody, where are you right now? And they'll answer, we're in the region of Caesarea Philippi. And you'll understand, like if you have the privilege of every goal, you'll understand what's such an idolatrous place, such an idolatrous place just where we are as you walk up the stairs to where it is. So he takes them into the very idolatrous area filled with false worship. And he asks them a very important question on the backdrop of false worship. He says, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? And so they said, some say John the Baptist, other Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, okay, so now at the backdrop of everything, who do people say that? But now I'm asking you, who do you say I am? Because that's the most important question for anyone listening to me right now. The most important question in your life is this, who do you say that Jesus Christ is? That will dictate your eternal future. That will dictate your eternal future. If you think of him as just some kind of like Elijah, well, he was a great prophet. Then you're going to miss the significance of who he really is. If you say like, oh, others like Jeremiah or the other prophets, then you're going to miss. He wasn't just a messenger. He wasn't just a miracle worker. If you say, well, you know, maybe he was like John the Baptist, you know, real bold and, and pronounced. He's, he's not just a miracle worker. He's not just a messenger. He's not just a prophet. He is, notice what, what Peter, Peter answers. He speaks up in verse 16. You are Christ. Now, if you Bible students, if you didn't know this already, circle this in your Bible. You need to write this down. Whenever you see the word Christ or Christos in the Greek, it refers to Jesus being Messiah. Messiah. He is the Messiah. You are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. So Peter speaks of not only are you the Savior, but you are the one promised. You are God who came to save us. That's his answer there. And any other answer than acknowledging your sin before Jesus as the Savior, God in human flesh, your eternal destiny is set in that very moment, for that moment, moment by moment, until you repent of your sins, you have an eternal destiny separate from God. There are not three ways to, to God. There's not five ways to God. Jesus said that he was the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the way. He's not a way. He's not some way. He is the way. So here, Peter has this revelation. Bold. And Jesus answers, Man, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And here's the verse, the key. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. 
On this rock I will build my church, Jesus says to Peter in response. And this has become one of the most confused passages in all the Bible because it has been co-opted by man-made religion. And it's made to say something it doesn't say. It's made to say by Roman Catholicism that Peter is the one that Jesus will depend upon to build his church. That the Son of God, God in human flesh, has conveyed all of his hope in Peter. And he'll be the one. And that's not what it says at all. The first thing I want you to notice that you cannot see in the English, but you can see in the original language, the New Testament written in the common Greek, that there is a play on words that Jesus has here in verse 18. In verse 18, uh, the first mention in verse 18 is the word Peter. Now, the word Peter in the Greek is Petros. And it literally means a small stone, like a stone that you would throw. Could even mean a pebble. Just means a little rock. He says, look, you, Peter, you, you little rock. This, you, Peter, listen, I say to you that you're a little rock. And on this rock, which is a different word, that's the word Petra. And that speaks of a cliff or an uncut stone, a massive singular stone. Hey, look, little rock. Look, pebble. Good that Father revealed something to you, but I'm telling you it's on this solid rock that I'm going to build the church. And don't forget who Jesus said would build the church. Did he say man would build the church? Yes or no, church? Say it out loud online. Yes or no? Will man build the church? This church can't be built by man. We can never take away, or at least attempt to, it's not possible, but at least attempt to take with man's methods and methodologies to build something. Because man can build something, it just won't be the church. <laughs> man can build things on methodologies and church growth programs and all kinds of things. Man can move people, manipulate people. It's not the church. Because the real church of Jesus Christ is built by Jesus. And it wasn't built upon Petros, upon a little stone, upon a man. No, Jesus built the church upon the rock. And so we have to ask in context, what rock is the church built upon? And I suggest to you in context that the rock that the church is built upon, which is every single one of your lives, is the confession that Jesus Christ is the Savior, the Son of God. That's how you were changed. You became the church when you were born again. And you were born again when you, when you confessed with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That's the foundation of your life. The foundation of your salvation cannot be this church. It cannot be an altar call. It cannot be the raising of a hand. It cannot be pulling your car over on the side of the road. The foundation of God building your life is your confession. That's where it all begins. He wants you to confess him as the Son of God. So don't let anybody whether it's a religious system, anyone draw attention away from Jesus who's the builder. He's the author. He's the finisher. Remember, Abraham was waiting for what? A city whose builder and maker is man. Was that what Abraham was waiting for? Remember our study in Hebrews? No. Say no, church. You got it wrong, pastor. He was waiting for the city whose builder and maker was God. God builds 
He's the architect. We don't want to be a part of something that's man-made. We want to continue to learn to die to ourselves in those areas where we're man-made, where we're leaning on our own understanding. Or as shared as we send out a missionary today, a man plans as a woman plans her way, but the Lord directs her steps. We have our plans and our desires, but God, if he's going to build our life, we've got to go with the flow of what he's doing, trusting him along the way. Jesus says, I'm going to build my church on this truth. That's how people come in, by confessing that I'm Messiah. And as we survey the book of Acts, and just reading the Bible, let alone this one verse that's misinterpreted and misused and misapplied, as we survey the book of Acts, we find that Peter was not the rock upon which the church was built. In the Jerusalem church, it would appear that James was actually the leader. In Acts chapter 15, as they were all battling, who had the final word in Acts 15? James did. Over and above Peter. Peter submitted himself to the elders of the church even though he was a leader and an elder of his own right. Peter even submitted to Paul the Apostle when he was caught living a hypocritical life. He isn't a man, nor did he create an office that has absolute authority that can never be wrong, even though they're wrong. The Pope is wrong thousands of times over the years. Our current, the current Pope is in, he, he's got some weird, weird unbiblical beliefs that simply cannot be substantiated by the Bible. That the Bible cannot be open when you, some of the things he's been saying and doing. The office doesn't exist according to God. And no man stands as absolute authority over the church. No man save Jesus Christ. He's always the absolute authority of the church. Nobody can speak, as it's said today, ex cathedra, where a man can change what the Bible says. And I want to warn you, if you do take along this path just to explain this one verse, there will be a great temptation for the person you're trying to explain it to to appeal to church history and say, well, the people in church history, um, they kind of went, some of them went along with it. Well, if some of them went along with it, they were wrong because they too went against the Bible. Church history does not take precedent over the Bible. The church fathers does not take precedent over the Bible. And you appeal to the church fathers that most resemble the Bible because even the church fathers were infallible, just like you and me. One day they'll look back on our life and they'll be able to go mistake, 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 mistake. Hopefully it's not that big, but little, little mistakes in our lives. And I think one of the big surprises of heaven will be when we come there and we find out what real, true, biblical theology really was. You know, we have all these little infightings in the church and you agree this and you agree that and we have these little denominations and all that. One, one, in, the, in the sight of God, the church, the real church, there is no division in the real church. <laughs> we're all one in Christ. There's one faith, one Lord, one baptism, we're all. But when it comes down to us, we have all these little skirmishes and we'll be surprised on what side of the skirmish we really were on these non-essential things that we've wasted time arguing about. Peter being the Pope is not a non-essential. It's important to understand that Jesus Christ did not build the church on Peter. He's not building the church on Peter, but rather the saved soul that confesses Jesus Christ as Lord. 
If you were, let's just say you were, if you were to build the church on the foundation of a man, Peter probably wouldn't have been in the top 10 people to pick anyway. But he was just a man serving the Lord. And as Jesus was building his church, he did use Peter greatly. And it is encouraging because we've been learning that by the grace of God, Jesus will use any of us. It's only by the grace of God. And it was Peter, after he denied the Lord, remember Jesus sought him out. He loved him so much. And he found him and he encouraged him. Can I share those encouraging words with you before we head out today in John chapter 21? I just wanted you guys to be reminded or maybe for the first time, you guys listening on the radio, uh, listening to this in another state perhaps, or part of our church family online, I wanted to remind you or maybe teach you for the very first time who Peter really is. Because we can relate to Peter. It's too bad that he gets a lot of attention for the mistakes that he made. But let's look at the other side. Notice John chapter 21. I love that about Jesus. After he fell, Jesus went after him. Jesus is always looking after the lost, the wandering, the hurting, the straying, those that have stumbled. Notice verse 15 in John 21. Jesus says, when he had eaten breakfast, he said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And so he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Don't you love that? How many times did Peter deny the Lord? Three. And how many times did Jesus give him a personal opportunity to reaffirm his love for him? Three. I love that. Jesus loves to meet you and me where we are. He just shows up to exactly where we are. And he gives Peter a chance to look him in the eye and go, you know I love you, you know I love you, you know I love you. And there's a little play on words here too in the Greek where finally Peter's just met exactly where he's at. Do you love me? He says, man, you know I love you. And here he is, Peter, the same guy that affirmed his love three times. He's writing a letter about it 30 years later. It is God's will for you to continue on for 30 years following him. It's God's will for you to walk with Jesus 40 years, 50 years, however many years you have to live. It's God's will for you to follow him, for you to get up, for you to feed and tend and care for people in Jesus' name. What's the difference in Peter's life? Well, not only was it a personal in time with Jesus, but he was also, remember in Acts chapter 2, baptized in the Holy Spirit. He was empowered from on high. This isn't a Peter in his own strength. It's a Peter empowered by the Holy Spirit as we come to the letter of Peter. This is one that understood his power. It's one of the most encouraging before and after stories in all the Bible. The work of finished work of God. A man, a woman who's anointed with the Holy Spirit can do awesome and wonderful things. And here's what's interesting to me. God 
he was able to take Peter's weakest point and strengthen him there. He was able to identify that weakest point. He took him as he was, brought him to the point of surrender, and then rushed in with his power and his strength. You know, sometimes we'll say, and we've heard it said, God will not give you anything more than you can handle. If anyone ever tells you that, ever again, you look him in the eye and say, you unbiblical liar. No, don't do that. I'm just kidding. It's not true. That's not true. God would not give you anything. Everything in life is beyond what you are able to handle. And some of you, as I look out to the room today, have been given and tasted things that are overwhelmingly unable for you to handle. Oh, I understand the heart of the matter. I even understand the nuance, but it's just kind of given flippantly. Well, you know, God will never give you anything that you're not able to handle. Well, what kind of God is that? How will you ever know your need of the power of God if you can always handle it? If God just stops short right here or he stops something, just stops it short. You know, go ahead. Go ahead and give that piece of advice to Job. Job, just want you to know, Job. God won't give you anything. What do you mean God won't? I, I can't handle this. This is beyond my ability. And the scripture that's used is one that's very common. It's no temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man, but with every temptation, God gives a way of escape. The way of escape is trusting him. The way of escape is acknowledging that the temptation, the difficulty is overwhelming you. You're unable. Oh, Peter, you know, he's telling all the disciples, remember, um, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you guys are all going to desert me. No, if everybody deserts you, it won't be me. That was Peter's weakest point. What he thought it was his strongest point, his confidence, his loyalty, his commitment, was actually his weakest point. And Jesus told him that. I'm telling you right now, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me. I'm just letting you know, where you think is strong is actually your weakest point. Where you think you're the strongest is the place you need to depend on more. Often, what God allows into our lives are things that we cannot handle. Why? So that we could come to the end of ourselves, which is a very scary, difficult place. Some of you are fighting right now. God bringing you to the end of yourself. You just resist and resist and resist. And it's getting harder, isn't it? It's not getting any easier. It's getting harder. And you're losing joy. And you're losing peace. And you're losing confidence. And because every time you're resisting, you're not spending time with Jesus. With every resistance, you're not spending. And then because you have to still be in a family and you still got kids and still have a church family, you put on an air of spending time with Jesus. You have an appearance you have, how, how are you doing today, brother? Doing great. Doing fantastic. And you have an air of religiosity about you. But the reality is, is that what we see on the outside actually isn't reflective of you not spending time with Jesus. Because you're resisting and resisting and resisting instead of taking the way out. What's the way out, Ed? The way out is admitting your weakness. Admitting that you're weak in that area so that you'll be in a position to receive the strength of the Lord. Let me just say this. God does not want to strengthen your weaknesses. Jot that down, note takers. God does not want you to strengthen, does not want to strengthen your weaknesses. 
He wants to become your strength. He wants to become your strength. You could even say it this way. God does not want to strengthen your weaknesses. He wants to weaken you to the point where he is your strength. Where his grace is sufficient for you. Where finally, after three times of asking God, remove this, remove this, remove this, God says, no. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. My strength is made perfect. So as we jump into the letter of Peter, and he's writing to hassled, struggling, under great persecution believers, he has a credible testimony. He has a credibility about him. He is the messenger that God chose to inspire by the Holy Spirit to speak to us about how to respond in tough times, how to rise up in difficult places, how to choose. See, it's so counterintuitive being in the difficult season we're in right now as a country, as a world. It's counter of what the world's message is. The world's message is get stronger, get stronger, and God says, I'm trying to weaken you in the place where you think you're strong. I'm actually doing the opposite of what you're doing. I want you to be weakened in the flesh. I want you to be weakened in what you perceive as power. I want you to be weakened in the control that you think you have. Why? So that I can make my strength made known through you. It's the exact opposite of the message of this world. It's the exact opposite of the message we might be carrying where we want to make a name for ourselves and we want to succeed and we want to be known and we have all these ambitions and goals and all the while God's saying, hey, I love the ambitions and goals, but do it in a place of abiding because otherwise you're going to deny me. I'll never deny you. Think about that. If Jesus was here today, some of you, all of you guys are going to turn on me when it gets really, really hard and here we all are. No, you know, we're all quiet and then there's a Peter in there, not me, and he runs up to the stage all of these will deny you, but I won't deny you. And Jesus is like, man, you have no idea how bad you're going to deny me. You have no idea how far you are from me right now. And of course, he could also say, you have no idea how much you're going to learn from that failure. You have no idea how much you're going to understand my strength from now on, Peter. You will never, ever be the same man ever again. Trust me. And as we face difficulty and unfairness and injustice of all sorts, family injustice, economic injustice, friendships, you name it, being a part of this world, Peter is going to give us the wisdom of God to remind us that the pathway to God's strength is our own human weakness. So read ahead. We'll cover a few more verses next time as we jump into this and start to get some background of what's happening as Peter writes. So Father, thank you for the privilege of being here today and studying your word, um, abiding. Um, you even forgive us, God, if we've made abiding a work in and of itself instead of just resting in you enjoying you, eager just to take in what you have to say to us. Forgive us when we take wisdom from this world. Forgive us when we try to strengthen our weaknesses, 
try to take control of things, Lord. Forgive us, please. And let us be filled with your spirit tonight, that you would just, I pray for the baptism of your spirit upon the empowerment. Maybe you're here today, you just need that fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. You want that power of the Holy Spirit to come upon you. Why don't you just stand right now where you're at as we're all praying. You're just like, I want to be filled with the Spirit tonight. I want to be baptized in the power of the Spirit. If that's you, just stand up. I want to pray for you. That's all I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for you from the stage. I just want you to acknowledge like maybe the, the area of weakness. You've just been trying to strengthen your weakness, but now the Lord just wants to give you a fresh anointing of His Spirit that He wants to empower you. He wants you to become like Peter, where the, bat, the baptism of the Lord, like you don't just have the Spirit in you to be refilled, but now you're getting to that place where the Holy Spirit is taking control of you. You're yielding yourself to Him. And then today, you, today this week, you can go into the website and just look baptism of the Holy Spirit up, and you can listen to the Bible study on it. And let God teach you what it's like to be empowered by the Spirit. Let, let it be a fresh thing during this time. Let it be a fresh re- reminder of God's call upon your life. May God's call upon what he's doing. God's call upon you to go a higher level, to take another step from faith to faith. And so God, I just pray right now. Lord, and, 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 and Lord, amen. I close it with God. Okay, so let me come back to you. You guys, put your hands up that are, want that and just let, be empty before the Lord. Like, let it be symbolic where you're just asking God to give you the baptism, right? Just asking God to fill you, okay? So Father, I do pray for those that have their hands open right now, near and far. We all ask for a fresh... We all ask for a a new, we ask for a baptism of your spirit today, God, that it will not be in the human spirit. It will not be in our own understanding. It will not be in our own efforts. It will not be for us trying to strengthen our weaknesses, but we will acknowledge our weakness. Maybe right now, you just need to acknowledge the weakness in your life. And you can just say it out loud if you like, but you know, just acknowledge the weakness that you're fearful, you're anxious, you're a control freak, uh, you're mad, you're angry, you're prideful, whatever it is, just go ahead. You might have your own words for it. It's just, I confess it to you, Lord. Build on that confession. You are the Son of God. You're my Savior. And I come to you, God. I want to learn how to abide in you. I, I want to walk in your power. I want to experience what I'm hearing. I just want a Bible study, God. I want to live the Bible. I want it to come out of my life. I want to have you as the most important person in my life. And God, answer these prayers. Pour out your spirit. Let it be at a fresh anointing upon your church tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together. Let's all stand together and we'll sing this song. Amanda, you don't even, look, if you need to see Amanda, you don't need to go out and come back in. Just go right through. Go into the foyer. Minister to her. If you want to talk to her, she's given you permission to do that. And uh, just be mindful of others. That's all. Don't lose that preference for others, okay? As we start relaxing things here and we start changing things, we can't lose what we learned, okay? We're not going back to a time where it was like it was normal, right? It'll never be the same. God's taught us some things. He's taught us how to think of others more highly than ourselves. He's taught us how to humble ourselves. We don't like something, we die to ourselves. We think of the other person. We think of the person standing next to us. We respect them if they have a different view than we do. We respect them if they are a little more fearful than we are. We don't make fun of them. We don't take a Bible and knock them over the head. We encourage them. 
We strengthen them. So don't lose what we've learned as things get, it probably won't happen as fast as some of you want, but little by little, it's going to happen. So be ready for it. You're already, you guys get to be the first ones. You can thank all the pastors today for coming in here and spending hours putting the chairs in. But doesn't it feel good to have the chairs back in? Doesn't it feel good? It feels good to me. I, I don't like so many of them empty. So come back. What are you guys doing? You and you and you over there. Come back. It's time to come back. Break old habits. Come back. We got room. We, we totally have room for you now. So there's room for you. Come back home. Bring your friends. Bring your family. Let's release ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.